Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hey guys, Pastor Josh here. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast, whether you do that through our app and listen every week or you're just listening for the first time. Hey, if the podcast is a blessing to you, if you would, you know, mention us on social media at OverflowDFW or hashtag OverflowDFW. We'd love to hear how we're being an encouragement to you. You can also email us at OverflowDFW at gmail.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and here's today's message. We are kids of the King of Glory. It's not like we're listen. We're not just some. We're not just some kind of grafted in thing that that that, that God just kind of looks at and goes, "Isn't it nice that they're in the kingdom?" No, 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 no. We are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. We are kingly, and we have a listen. We have a kingly mandate. Come on, are you with me? We have a dominion mandate on the earth, and if we're ever going to accomplish that, then we've got to start seeing ourselves as kingly. We've got to start seeing ourselves the way our heavenly Father sees us. And so if he is the king of glory, then what does coming home look like? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And many of us have heard the story of the prodigal son. And, you know, when we talk about the kingdom, I remember when I was, I was probably 18 or 19. And when I first got saved, I had, you know, way more questions uh, than I had answers. I, I think I had more answers when I was 18 than I do now. But Right? How many of you know that when you get a little older, you're kind of like, oh, I don't really know as much as I thought I did. And so when I was 18, I thought I knew everything. But I remember knocking on my dad's door one night, and, uh, and it was late at night, and I was spending some time with the Lord. And I, I said, Dad, I was like, so, so what is it, like the kingdom? Like, what, what is that, the, the kingdom? When we talk about the kingdom, what does that mean? And he said, son, he's like, that, that's what we're in right now. And for, for me and my mindset, when I was 18 and I came into the kingdom, I didn't really think I was in the kingdom. I kind of thought I was just a Christian, like I, I came to the Lord. But I didn't realize that the kingdom is, is as much right now as it is later. Now, it, come on, it will look a little different later than it does right now. But we are not just destined to this place called heaven where we'll have a palace. There is a kingdom right now when you came to Jesus that is inside of you. The word kingdom, listen, the word kingdom means king's domain. So everything that God rules over, come on, his dominion is in the kingdom. And so we talk about this place called heaven one day, and we're going to go there when we die, and we love that. I think for, for many years, that was the mindset of the church. The kingdom is about a place we're going. It is about a place we're going, but it's also about a place right now. It's also about a reality right now. So I want to talk this morning about when we came home, what we came into. We're talking this morning about going from prodigal to prince prodigal to prince. And we, we know the story of the prodigal son. It's interesting we call the story the prodigal son. It's really not the story of the prodigal son. It's actually the story of the found son. Come on, are you with me? He wasn't lost anymore at the end of the story. Isn't it interesting how we staple the identity, come on, of someone to their history? How many of you know that he's not a prodigal anymore? He's a found son. And uh, once we were far off, but God, right? So we know the story, Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read it. I'm going to try to get through reading it, and then we'll talk about it. It says this in verse 11. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share in your estate before you die. In other words, I want your inheritance before you die. 
How many you would be a little insulted as a father? Uh, oh, you want you just want me for my money? Yeah, because I'm going to leave. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money. He wasted his inheritance, the estate, in wild living. About that time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land. And and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And the moment of all moments, verse 17, when he finally came to his senses. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you just would you just take me as a hired servant? Can I just live in the in the slave quarters, Dad? Can, if I could just go back and I, I you don't have to call me son or anything, but if, if I could just come and, and live where the servants live, then life will be better than it is right now. So if you'll just take me that way. So it says that when he came to his senses and he thought this, that he returned home to his father. And we love, there's so many pivotal moments in this story, and this is, this is one of them right here. It says, while he was still a long way off, while he was still far away from home, his father saw him coming. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the father was hoping he was coming home. Because he was a long, I, I, think, I think that the dad was sitting out on the porch at night. Maybe this will be the day. Maybe today he'll come to his senses. Maybe today he'll run out of money. Maybe today he'll come home. While he was a long way off, the father saw him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, if you know anything about culture, it was very inappropriate of Jewish culture for an older man to run. Yet he runs. I mean, you know, sometimes our compassion exceeds our properness come on and it probably should sometimes we're too caught up in being proper that we allow it to control us what we probably need to do is be more motivated by our passion we're talking about holy passion come on so and he kissed him and he said to him and his son said to him father i've sinned what he had predetermined in his mind dad i've sinned I blew it against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, quickly, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. And get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. You know, the thing I love about this story is the son was seeking mercy, but he found grace. He was seeking mercy. He was seeking if his father would just, he knew his dad was at least merciful that he would let him live in the servant quarters. 
He would just eat scraps from the master's table or something like that. He knew his father was good enough for that, but he never imagined that his father would adorn him with kingly garb and welcome him back home. You know, he did, when the father sees him, he does five things. And it's interesting that the, the, the number five is the number of grace. So he saw him. He was filled with compassion. He ran to him. He embraced him. And he kissed him. Grace. How many of you know that would have been enough? He could have just done that and said, son, I do love you. I'll answer your request. You can go live with the servants. We'll do that. I mean, by the way, you, you took every half of what I had. Go ahead and live with the servants. I'm merciful. And he would have been a good father to do that. If he just would have done that, he would have done good. But John chapter 1 verse 16, that God parts to us not just grace, but grace upon grace. That's how our father does. He doesn't just say, I'll let you in and live in the shed. No, 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 no. He says, grace upon grace. I won't just give you the five things that are good for grace. I'll give you more than that. And then he gives him these gifts. And I'm going to talk about these gifts this morning. The first thing that he gives the son is the finest robe. Quickly, get him out of these clothes that he's wearing. Now, clothing... If you know anything about the Bible, if you've spent any time in the Bible, you understand that many times, most of the time, when Scripture is referencing our clothing, it's representing our righteousness. Our righteousness. How many of you are proud of your righteousness? Come on, you get it. Listen, this boy's clothes that he was wearing, if he was wearing any, were filthy. They were stinky, mangled, and stained. And it was his fault. It was his fault. It was his fault. He, he squandered away his money in wild living. He could have invested it and had a decent life. It was his fault. He was stinky like pigs. He knew it. In fact, he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your servant. He knew how jacked up he was. He knew that he was so unclean. If you know anything about Jewish culture, you'll know that pigs are an unclean animal. What was he doing? Living with pigs. He was unclean. That's what he was doing. He lived where pigs belong because he was an unclean animal. Man, Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Listen, the things that you can do on your own, no matter how great the world says they are, compared to the glorious king that we serve, your righteousness is like filthy rags. And I can tell you this morning, that's not really talking about robes. If you know anything about filthy rags... It's really gross, so I'm not going to go there, but you can study it out on your own, right? But your righteousness is filthy. No matter how, again, no matter how many people chant your name, no matter how many people say that your ideas are good, the things that you can do on your own, your righteous acts are like filthy rags. I don't care how many good things you've done. Your righteousness on your own is filthy because you're comparing it to Jesus. You're comparing it to perfection. So everything you do falls short. It falls short. But it's interesting that he didn't just call for a robe to clothe this young man. No, no, no. The father said, get him the finest robe. 
I want him to get the finest robe. Well, who in this house has the finest robe? The father. The finest robe in the house belonged to the father. It belonged to the father. So the robe, they went in the house and they started looking. Let's find the finest robe. They went to the other brother's closet. They thought, this is a pretty good robe. They ran to the other closet, maybe the coat closet, looked in there. This is a decent robe. And they ran over there to the father's closet and they said, this is the finest robe. This is the best one in the house. It's clean. It smells good. Get that one and put them on him. Can I tell you this morning, we don't come into the kingdom on our own righteousness. We come into the kingdom by the righteousness of God. God is the one who clothes us in his righteousness. It was interesting that the boy, the only thing that he did was he came home. See, when we come into heaven, when we come into the kingdom, we come with an empty slate. Don't give me your accolades. It's filthy. Put on his garb. Put on the kingly robe that he has provided. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that says, God made him who, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So your robe now, your old robe was filthy rags. When you came to Jesus, he gave you a new robe. Put your robe on. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. You're righteous. You're as righteous. You're as righteous as God. But you don't know what I did last night. I know what Jesus did. That speaks louder. We have the royal robe. Listen, understand this, this robe was, was brought to him. It was put on him. It was not earned. And it was a covering. It covered his filth. It covered the stink that had been on him for months or years or however long it had been. It was a covering. Just like, just like in the garden when man blew it. Listen, there's always a covering. God always wants to cover up your filth. He is, listen, God isn't ticked off at you because you screwed up this week again. He's not ticked. He's saying, will you walk in the robe that I've provided? It's a covering. Listen, people are, there's ministries out there that are built around exposing people. Listen, God is not into exposing sin. God is into exposing Jesus. Jesus doesn't expose sin. He removes it. Well, you don't know what I've done, pastor. I tell you what I do know. I know what Jesus has done. And that's far greater and far more powerful than anything you can do. So put on your righteous robe. It's who you are. It's who you are. You live righteous because it's who you are. It's not because you're so good. It's because it's the robe that he provided for you. And he covers your sin. And let me tell you this. He covers your shame. You quit walking around like that. You quit walking around with your head, man, you just don't know the things I've done, Pastor. You don't, man, if I told you, you would freak out. I guarantee I would not. Because there are probably things that I've thought in my mind that are worse than that. Let's just be honest. Now, I know that your righteousness, you think, are not filthy rags. So you probably think, well, no, they aren't that bad. Well, let's just compare it to Jesus. Because he is the standard. So we all fall short in that until we come home. So in the kingdom, it's a royal robe. It's the finest robe in the house. It's his robe. 
It's the righteous robe of royalty. The second thing that the king gives this son is he's, he gives him a ring. He gives him a ring. Now, rings have always, I know that if you buy them at what, Justice or Claire's or something, they might not have any significance. But most of the time, rings, especially in those days, because they didn't have these awesome you know, presses that print out thousands of the same ring, all the rings were handmade. Come on, are you with me? And a family, especially a family that was well-to-do, which obviously we know that this family was, they probably had their own ring with their own signature on there, with their own stamp, if you will. And so when he put this ring on his son, he was saying, you're part of the family. You have the royal ring. The, the ring speaks of our identity and rights as royal family. I love John 1 verse 12. says this, to those that receive him, to those that believe in his name, he gave them the right to become sons of God. See, being a child of God is a right. It's not a privilege. Are you with me? It's not something you're born naturally into. You got to be born again. See, that's why we got to get born a second time because the first time we weren't a child of God. But when we were born a second time, we were born into the kingdom. We were orphans. Now we're sons. That's who we were and who we are. It's totally different. So the ring speaks of our identity. Um, you, you believed Jesus. You believe that Jesus died on that cross for you. Do you? Then you're a son. You're a daughter. To those that believed in him, those that put their trust in him, those that said, okay, count me in. Because I've done nothing but blow it my whole life. The second thing the ring does is it speaks of our belonging. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. It says, he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit into our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. When God gave you this ring, he said, they're mine. They're part of the family. Can I tell you, there, is, there, are, there are few things in life that are more liberating than knowing daddy's got it. That we have... A God that is not cosmic, distant, but relationally involved in our lives. And there is something, when he puts that ring on his finger, he says, you're part of the family. Your problems are my problems. See, that's what happens when we're in family. They're not just my problems, not my issues, they're our issues. Right? When you're in family, that's what it says. This is what you got yourself into by becoming a part of overhaul. Our issues are your My issues are, sorry. But we family. And when you belong, you understand that God's got it. Because we belong to God, get this, because we belong to God, all what God has, all that God has belongs to us. Let me say it again. Because we belong to God, what God has belongs to us. You know, my kids, they don't come in. We, we have like, we should probably buy stock in like fruit snacks. Because we will go to the store and buy like, no matter how many boxes we buy, 
you parents know this, no matter how many boxes of fruit snacks that we buy, they are gone the next day. We should probably buy them by the pallet at Sam's or something. And so my kids don't have to come into the living room and go, Daddy, um, if you don't mind, I got a question. Um, can I have a fruit snack? No, they have pantry rights. They have refrigerator rights. Now, if you come into my house, you need to ask. Right? Not anymore because we're family, but you know. But if it's your first time at the house, it's going to be a little awkward if you're, like, coming over and making yourself a bowl of cereal. That's just going to be weird. And we'll probably have a conversation about it. The ring is a sign of our belonging. It's a sign of our identity, our belonging. And it's a sign of our delegated authority. You know, the the rings of those times, a well-to-do family would be a signet ring whenever they sent off a letter or something like that to make sure that nobody peeked on it. It was their Norton antivirus of the time. They They would close it, put a wax seal on there, and stamp it with that ring. It's a sign of delegated authority. And so when it says that he's our se- the Holy Spirit, what we just read, is our seal of ownership, he has sealed us with the Spirit. He said, by the Spirit of God, I've do- adopted you and I've brought you. You can't have a seal without that ring. Come on. And it speaks of our delegated authority. You guys remember the story of Joseph. Pastor Jen brought a, brought a great message last week about, about uh, Joseph. And if you remember the story, Joseph was ex- exalted to the second man in charge of Pharaoh. And one of the things that Pharaoh did is he gave him his ring. Why? Because with that ring, you say, I got some authority. How many know that you got some authority? Remember what Jesus said? We're going to talk about this a lot. One week we're going to talk about dominion in the series. But remember Jesus said this? He said, all authority has been given to me. And then when he put his spirit in us, we got the keys. We got the ring. We got the seal. We have authority, kingly authority, to help govern God's realm. Wake up to this. You have, Jesus said, greater things will you do when I go to the Father. Why? He's going to put spirit in us. We have the authority to govern, listen, God's realm. Who has the keys to the kingdom? We do. We have the keys to the kingdom. So healing isn't, nece- isn't something that we go to before we go to the pantry and go, um, Lord, would you please just, um, I know that there's some healing in the pantry. That's annoying. The first time it's cute. But when they're 11 or 9, I know this. Can I have the, Just go get it. It's already yours. You got the keys to the pantry. You got the keys to the refrigerator. You got the keys to the house. You, everything that is in God's realm, healing, forgiveness, all the things that we crave, freedom, all these things are within, not just within our reach, we have access. We have the authority over these, these things. So we don't have to beg and grapple and even fast to get somebody healed. Jesus didn't even say pray that they would be healed. He said go heal them. 
Why? Because we already got it. It's already in you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's already in you. So we got the authority, that kingly authority to help govern, govern his realm. Now, the third thing that he gives, so he puts this robe on. He's like, oh, my. I mean, can you imagine how bashful and how foolish he must have felt? How humbled he was that his father was doing this. And he gives him this ring. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm part of the family. Come on, father. I don't have to stink anymore. We've got the ring. And then it says that he puts sandals on his feet. Now, chances are this young man was barefoot because many times slaves in those days didn't even own shoes or servants in those days didn't own shoes. Uh, in Middle Eastern culture and often still today, uh, shoes were be t- to be removed before you went into one's house to, be- to pay respect and honor. We- we've met people, we know people today that if they come over to our house, they take their shoes off. It's weird. But part of their culture is that they do this as a sign of honor. So possibly... If the son did have shoes, he said, I'm going to take them off when I go home because I don't have any expectations. I don't, I'm not, I, I, I just, I'm not a son. I, I, in fact, the only person, the only, listen, the only people that could wear shoes in the house were the owners of the house, the family of the house. So anybody else, guests, servants, nobody else could wear shoes in the house. But guess who could? Those that the house belongs to. So it's interesting that the father says, bring some shoes. Now, we say he probably wasn't wearing shoes, or if he was, they weren't fit. These are the shoes that I'm going to give him, shoes that are house-worthy. He was possibly saying, not wearing his shoes, he was possibly saying, I don't plan on going inside. I'm here as a hired servant. In fact, I won't even stay today. If you want, I'll, I'll just be a guest. I mean, he's, that could have been like worst case scenario. Maybe he'll just invite me in for a meal. I won't even wear shoes. No, I'll get him some shoes. See, we're not a guest. We're not a guest in this kingdom. We're not checking in and out. We live here. This is our realm. This is where we function. This is where we live, not because we got so good that we could get in, but because he provided the way for us to do it. Get him some shoes, because he's not going to sit outside. He's not here for just a minute. He's staying. So get this boy some shoes. And the father was saying in that moment, you're no servant in this house. You are no visitor to this home. This is where you belong. You're my son, and everything I have is yours. Romans 8.15, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit that when he adopted you as his children, now we cry, Abba, Father. We receive the spirit of adoption. When he gave us those shoes, he said, you're not a slave. You're not a visitor. You're not checking in and checking out. You're in. You're in. You can stay here. This is your home now. The fourth gift, and it wasn't really even a gift so much, but he, he did all these things. The, the fourth act of kindness, the grace upon grace that the father gave this son, the fourth thing that he gave was a feast. Now, I don't know about you, but if my son comes to me and asks for his inheritance early, and he goes and spends all of his money, and he comes smelling like unclean animals, the first thing that I'm probably going to do is go, you ain't sleeping in my house. 
That's, that would be my natural tendency as a father. Come on, how many of y'all with me? If we be honest, you better, you better go take a shower before you sleep in my house. You don't come in here smelling like pigs. Won't get the furniture dirty. No, this father looks around. He gets his son adorned the way that you would adorn yourself before you went to a party, before you went to a feast. And he says, hey, we got him all ready now. We got him looking like he needs to look. Hey, you know that cow we've been getting fat that we've been saving for a special occasion? Let's kill it and grill it. No. It's better than that. Besides, it ain't open on Sundays. Okay. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate a feast. Now that my son is adorned properly, now that he has everything that he needs to sit at my table, I provided all these things for him to sit at my table. Let's party. Let's do this. Listen, God didn't just let you in the door. When you came to Jesus, he wasn't like, now let's just, let's just calm you down a little bit. Now, I know you came into the kingdom, but you really, you screwed up. You made the family look bad. You did some foolish stuff. I, in fact, I'm a little embarrassed that you did all that stuff. I don't know what you think coming over here and being all, you know, coming around. Y'all accept you. It's not the way he acts. That's not the way our gracious heavenly father acts. We could pit no blame at him for that. He said, now that he looks just the way, like my sons look, now that we got you just the way you're supposed to look, let's eat. Let's have a party. Call our friends. Call the neighbors. Call the people. I know he was foolish. That's all gone now. My son was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. But now he's found. He's here. Let's party. Listen, this is what God is inviting to you to. He's not inviting you to the misery camp. And for years, Christianity was like that. How much suffering can you do for God? Now, listen, in this day and age, we are getting to that place. But that will not be the suffering that the Father provides for us. But it will be the suffering that the world throws at us that we will have to endure. I'm not making light of that. We, we see this coming. You don't have to be blind to see that coming. It's going to be harder and harder over the next day. No, it's not going to be easier to be a Christian over the next rest of the world in America. I think we see this coming. It's not going to be easier for the kingdom. It'll be intense. But I can tell you that none of those things will be what our Heavenly Father has provided. He invites us to a party. He, he invites us to a feast. He invites us to celebrate. So how do we move from prodigal to prince? Because some of us, and I've been talking about this this morning, you're like, yeah, I think like that sometimes. How do you get that mentality that you're no longer a prodigal? That you're no longer this lost son out blowing your life? You're child of God. How do we move from prodigal to pence? Number one, you do just like what this young man did. You come to your senses. You understand that God has all you need. He has, listen, I watch people all the time looking for fulfillment in relationships, looking for fulfillment in wild living, looking for fulfillment in, in the approval of people, of being liked and enjoyed by people. I, I see people do that every day. We see this. Come to your senses. 
This king of ours has everything we need. We can be fully satisfied in God. Fully satisfied. He has all we need. Stop looking elsewhere. Feast at his table. Stop looking for fulfillments and things outside of what God has provided. Outside of his realm. He has all you need. Say that. He has all I need. So come to your senses. Is he good? I mean, do you really believe? Come to your senses. It's crazy sometimes. I think God's punishing me. Now, God will spank your butt sometimes. I ain't going to lie. God will correct you. But he's not going to put sickness on you or bring misery on you or cause you to have a flat tire. Come to your senses. Would you do that? You being evil, knowing how to give good gifts to your kids. Would you do that to your kids? Well, you know, when you were 13 and you had those thoughts about that girl, cancer. AIDS to you. That's not my king. That ain't how he rolls with those that belong to him. That's exactly what people think. I'm like, come to your senses. Wake up. He is good. He is a king. And he rules all. And he's good. He's good. Come to your senses. Number two, come home. Come home. Listen, there's nothing you can do to be more righteous on your own. You just come home. It's interesting that the only thing that this kid had to do to be accepted by his father was come home. That's all he had to do. He didn't have to jump through hoops and fill out applications and get a lawyer. He didn't have to do any of that. He just had to say, he's good and merciful. I'm going to go home. Number three. And by the way, about the coming home thing, listen, there was another, the second part of this story is there's a brother there at the house. Right? And a lot of scholars would say this story is really about the other brother who was frustrated he was frustrated that he threw a party for the son, that he did all these things for this son that went and made all these mistakes. Don't be like the older brother. And it's hard for us that have been into the kingdom, right? I've been in the kingdom for like over 20 years. I came to the Lord when I was like eight, teen. And, and so, you know what? You know, over 20 years I've been, been in the kingdom. Sometimes that religious spirit will come on and be like, I mean, I've been, Lord, twenty, twenty-three years. He could been saved for like three months. He's like, "Come on to the party! Aren't you glad he's here?" I don't know. Don't be like the older brother. Come on. You know what the father told him? He said, why are you complaining? Everything, it was already here. You could have threw the party yesterday. You're sitting here grumbling. I'm like, my little brother. He was dead. He's here now. You could have killed a fat calf yesterday. What are you complaining about? Don't be like the older brother. Come home. Number three, understand our value. Understanding our value. 
We've got to understand our value. Listen, I, I've, I've seen it a lot of times in the kingdom. One of the mindsets say is don't think too highly of yourself. Don't. Scripture tells us that. Don't think too highly of yourself, but think a lot about how good God is. Right? But listen, you're going to, you're, you're gifted, you're talented. We're going to talk a, a lot about all that. You're amazing. Listen, don't, but don't think too highly of yourself. Understand that it wasn't your greatness. Listen, oh, that's good. It wasn't your greatness that got you in. It was your value. And there is a difference. Listen to this. The cross, we talk about the cross. Oh, the cross. He did it because we were such rotten sinners and he was mad. And I, I get some of that. I get some of that. And we're not, we're not going to get into that today. But listen, the cross is more about his love than it is about our rebellion. It's more about our acceptance than our repentance. It's more about our value than it is our sin. See, Jesus hung on that cross because you were valuable, because you were worth it. Now, the son, it took him coming home to understand his value, didn't it? He took the father adorning him to understand his value, didn't it? It took a minute for him to get it. Because at first he said, I'm not valuable. I'm just a slave. But when he came home, he realized his father was there affirming him. The cross speaks of your value. There's a high price. Listen, the highest price that could ever be paid for you was paid because you're valuable. You're incredibly valuable to God. I think if he had to do it again, which he won't, I think he would do it again. I think Jesus would come and do it again for us if he had to do it again. He won't have to, but if he did, I think he would do it again because we're valuable and he wants us. He didn't do it because he's mad at you. He did it because he loved you. For God so loved the world, lest you forget he loves you. You're valuable. And he wants you to understand that you're valuable. So quit selling out to measly sins. Quit selling out to the approval of people. Or, or finding your value in how many people like your Facebook status. Or how many people call you attractive today because you dress like that. Stop that. Now, sin, listen, sin is stupid because what sin does is, it, is it, it, it robs our perspective. But James 1.18 says this, that we are his prized possessions. Can I tell you today, as weak and as, let's just leave it at weak, <laughs> as weak as you are, you're still his prized possession. You know what I do with my prized possessions? I display them. Isaiah 61, for the display of his splendor. God displays things that are precious to him. You're God's accomplishment. Jesus died, fought a battle for you. You're what he got. You're prized. You see these guys at the Olympics? I'm like... This is me watching the Olympics, right? I know y'all are all excited. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, but I can't believe all pastor said about They're like, that's how the Lord is with you. He's, he's not ashamed of you because you're weak and flawed. And 
stupid at times. This past week, weekend, last weekend, uh, we were in a hotel room, and and uh, one of my people that I really admire, I don't know that I want to use the word hero because that's kind of weird, but one of my favorite, like, humans is Brett Favre. He was the quarterback, most of y'all know, for the Green Bay Packers for a number of years and went to some other teams. We won't talk about that. But, but Brett, at one time, held every passing record there is, including interceptions. Every passing record in the NFL at one time, Brett had those. And, and if you ever watched him play, he's the most fun person. That's one thing that nobody can say, but he's very entertaining to play. Well, last weekend, Brett got accepted into the Hall of Fame, and uh, he got up to talk. They told him he would have about 10 minutes. He ended up spending about 40 minutes. Sounds like he should be a pastor. Um, and he tells this story. Now, the, the night I became a Brett Favre fan, I was sitting in my in-law's house. It was right before Leslie and I got married. And we had heard on the news that his dad had died. Now, his dad was his high school football coach and, and uh, real hard on Brett. Brett said that if he was ever going to get praise, that Brett would never hear it. But his dad died, and he was real close to his dad. On a Sunday night, on Monday night, they played the Raiders. Now, the Raiders, the Los Angeles Raiders, are the meanest team in football, if you know anything about that. For players that go in to play there, they know that they hate the other team. They despise them. And these fans were welcoming Brett as he came in. And uh, it's interesting. I would encourage you to look up the video. It's, it's very insp- inspiring. And he, and he goes, he gets on a plane that night. They finish the game. He has the, arguably the best game of his NFL career. The day, he shouldn't even have played, but he had like this record of his, his greatest achievement was like all these consecutive games that he played. Injured, broken bones, all this. It's crazy. So he's on the airplane with his wife, and she said, you know, your dad said that one day he wanted to be the one to give your Hall of Fame, to introduce you at the Hall of Fame. And he, sa- he said this. He said, I never thought about being in the Hall of Fame until that moment. He said, but I wanted to because I knew that's what my dad wanted. And he shares this, this brief story. I'm going to try to hurry. He says this. He said, my dad was a coach. And so at school, they would be the last ones to leave. And he said he overheard one night. He said he must have had a bad game the week before. And he said it was dark, and he was sitting outside of his dad's office. They were, the coaches were meeting. This is his high school football game, his last game of his high school football career. And he's sitting outside of the office, and he hears his dad talking to the other coaches, having a meeting, what seemed to be whether they were going to keep Brett in the game or not. And he heard his dad over say this statement. He said, I can assure you one thing about my son. He will play better. He will redeem himself. I know my son has it in him. And Brett said, if you've ever watched Brett play, you know that he is not the most skilled quarterback. He's probably the most passionate, but not the most skilled out there. Makes a lot of mistakes. But he said for the rest of his career, moving into college and the NFL, that was on his mind. That statement his dad said when he heard behind closed doors, his dad didn't even say it to him, but he heard what his father believed. I know he can do it. I know he's got it in him. Can I tell you, we have a good heavenly father. And listen, he's not just behind a closed door telling you, telling somebody else, I, I, th- I think they're, they're doing pretty good. He's coming to you and he's saying, you're valuable. 
You got it in you. You can do this. I believe in you. And that's how your heavenly father feels. He doesn't look, he doesn't summarize us by our weakness. Listen to me. We have our weakness. We have our fault. We are weak. But he doesn't look at us and go, maybe on their best day. No, he looks at us and goes, I know he has it in him. I know he has it in him. I know she has it in her. This is what they were built for. She was designed for this. I know she's got it. Listen, you've got to understand that you are valued, not because you're so great, but because you're so loved. The last thing, and we're going to finish here. The last thing that we've got to do, if we're going to switch over our mindset, is this. We've got to embrace our new identity. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week because I don't really have the time to go into everything. But listen, you stop this. You stop this, I'm a sinner, garbage. You know what the New Testament calls you? Paul referenced being a, himself being a sinner one time in the book, I believe, of 1 Timothy. And he was talking about where he was. He refers to believers as saints over 40 times in the New Testament. You are not a sinner. Just sinners saved by grace. You know what that is? That's an excuse. Going, I'm going to blow it today. I'm going to blow it today. I'm just a sinner. You are not just a sinner. You're a saint. Sometimes you sin. Whoops. You better get that right. You better work on that. Come on. Let's allow the Lord to work on our life. Yes. But that is not your identity. You, you don't ever say that again. You don't ever say that you're a sinner Oh, we're sinners. You're humble too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can tell. Usually it's just false humility, kind of making light of our sin issues. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. Just make light of our issues. We don't make light of our issues. You understand that you're valued. In fact, when you understand your value, when you do something stupid, you look back and you go, well, that was stupid. I know that's what I do when I screw up. I do that to Leslie, too, when she screws up. I'm like, well, that was stupid. Just kidding. Listen. We won the jackpot. Listen. We went from lost to found. We went from poor house to the white house. We went from slave to to son, from sinner to saint, from pauper to prince, to taker to giver, from beggar to benevolent, from bankrupt to bankrolls, from broke to blessed, from fragrance to victorious, from wanderer to wonderful. You are valuable and you are loved by your heavenly father. And you are not just some measly sinner kind of hoping to eat scraps from the master's table. You are clothed in royalty and God loves you. 